All right. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? Awesome. Great to see everybody. If you're joining us online this morning, welcome. If you're watching our Facebook Live page or our website, we're glad you're joining us. If you're out in the concourse, seated comfortably in the couches, we welcome you this morning and all of you that are here live. And we have a special group of people that are here this morning. Yesterday at a park in Sioux Falls, though it wasn't her birthday, we celebrated the 95th birthday of my friend and mentor, Shirley Hale, who is here for the first time this morning in a long time since COVID with a good number of her family members. And so would all of you just stand this morning so we can honor you. 95 years, Shirley, we love you, we appreciate you. And don't expect that again, Shirley. That's the, la- that's the last one you get. <laughs> I'm kidding. She's my mentor, one of my mentors in my life. Extraordinary. We are beginning a new series this morning called Extraordinary. It's a study in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, what is traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus. If you have your Bibles this morning, please open them and turn to Matthew chapter 5 as we jump in to the Sermon on the Mount. Give you a second to turn there. Extraordinary. Extraordinary means going beyond what is usual, what is regular, or what is ordinary. Extraordinary means exceptional to a very marked extent. History is filled with extraordinary people in all sectors of life. Extraordinary thinkers. My wife and I, when we toured the Vatican Museum... Uh, We came across this painting, uh, which is a 16th century Italian Renaissance painting by a a young artist, a young Italian artist named Raphael. His painting here, this masterpiece, is called The School of Athens. And in this painting, he he has pictured uh, the great thinkers of the Roman and Greek ages. In the center of the painting and wanting to have uh, the, the highlight of this, is in the the red robe on the left, Plato, in the blue robe on his right, his student, Aristotle. Looking to the left of the painting, to the left of Plato, in the olive green robe, it's believed to be Socrates, who was Plato's teacher. Michelangelo is is, uh, supposed to be the guy down here on the the square block, uh, thinking uh, and writing. And there are other great scientists and mathematicians and philosophers and artists in that painting. Great, extraordinary thinkers throughout history. We've seen extraordinary athletes through history, like Tom Brady, arguably the best quarterback ever in pro football, like Allison Felix, Uh, the most decorated female track star in U.S. Olympic history. History has given us extraordinary innovators, uh, like the late Steve Jobs with Apple and Oprah Winfrey in the entertainment industry. There have been extraordinary motivators in human history, people that inspire us to great things like Nelson Mandela, the first president of South Africa who brought down apartheid, in that nation. Uh, Like Martin Luther King Jr. who fought for civil rights uh, for African Americans during the the, the American uh, civil rights movement. And extraordinary entertainers throughout history and you could choose a number of entertainers that you think are extraordinary. I chose the Beatles, Prince, 
female entertainers like uh, Lady Gaga and Katy Perry. But you can be the best in your field. You can be extraordinary in your field and not have extraordinary character. You might have noticed that from some of the individuals that I chose to be extraordinary people because, because extraordinary talent and extraordinary character are two different things. Extraordinary intelligence and extraordinary character are two different things. And the world values extraordinary talent and the world values extraordinary intelligence. But Jesus values extraordinary character. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Jesus is going to show us what it means to be a person of extraordinary character. So if you have your Bibles this morning, in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read... Let me give you a little little context as we read Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 1, the birth of Jesus is announced. In Matthew chapter 2, Jesus is born. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is water baptized. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus begins his public ministry. Jesus begins to go around the region of Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing the sick, inviting people to turn from their sin and to turn from God and to enter God's kingdom. It's in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus invites the first four disciples to follow him, the brothers Peter and Andrew and James and John. And Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount goes through chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to say is Jesus' painting. It's his masterpiece. Jesus is going to paint on the canvas of our lives the picture of a disciple. I'm calling this painting in the Sermon on the Mount the disciple because it's going to show us what a person, a disciple, a follower of Jesus can be like when they have extraordinary character because that's God's calling on your life as a disciple of Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus saw the crowds gathering, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. Sitting down was the posture of a Jewish rabbi when he was going to teach. So this is a teaching moment for Christ. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. Notice Jesus is teaching his disciples, not speaking to the multitudes. This isn't a time of evangelism. This is a time of teaching. And he says this in verse 3, God blesses those who are poor or those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace or who are peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right or for righteousness' sake, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you 
and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 11, comprise a section of Scripture that's called the Beatitudes. How many of you have heard that phrase, the Beatitudes? The structure of the Beatitudes, there's either eight or nine of them, depending on how you interpret verses 10 and 11 as one Beatitude or two. But each Beatitude has the same structure. The structure begins with the phrase, blessed are, followed by a quality of character followed by a reward for that character. All of the Beatitudes begin with, blessed are this kind of person, and this is the reward for that type of character or that type of behavior. Now, the the Beatitudes have nothing to do with attitudes. It's not like we need to be having these attitudes. That's not what a Beatitude is. In the Latin version, the Latin translation of the Bible, that phrase, blessed are, is the Latin word beati, where we get the word beatitude. Beati means blessed, fortunate, rich, wealthy, to be desired. The the, the word beati means this is a position of fortune or blessing and something to be desired. So blessed are people. I'm only going to look at one beatitude this morning. It's verse 3, and it says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to start at the end of that verse and then come back to the beginning because it ends like this. For theirs is, everybody say is. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice Jesus doesn't use the future tense. Notice Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the poor in spirit because one day they will inherit the kingdom of heaven, because one day they will enter the kingdom of heaven, because one day the kingdom of heaven will be theirs, because one day in the future they will receive the blessings of the kingdom. Jesus says the kingdom is now. We actually, through faith in Jesus Christ, we enter the kingdom of God when we're saved. It's not a physical kingdom. We One day we will experience the physical kingdom of God when Jesus reigns on the earth and we are under his rulership, but that's in the future. But right now we experience a spiritual kingdom, an unseen kingdom, an invisible kingdom. We enter the kingdom and the kingdom is real, but it, it can't be seen. It is spiritual in, in nature, and yet we are expected to live by all of the laws and principles of the kingdom now. Blessed are the poor in spirit because now they enter the kingdom, because now they are recipients of the blessings of the kingdom. So so Jesus is saying you and I, uh, when we put faith in Christ and we are saved, we enter the kingdom of God and we have access to the blessings of the kingdom now. The kingdom of God is a present tense reality. Let's jump back to the first part. How do we get there? Well, Jesus says, blessed are, fortunate are, rich, wealthy are, to to be esteemed are the poor in spirit. So what does that mean? The poor in spirit. Well, the poor, financially, socially, are unable to provide for their own needs. The poor live in a constant state of dependence on others to help them a constant state of dependence. The poor in spirit 
are unable to meet their own or provide for their own spiritual needs. And so the poor in spirit live in a constant state of dependency, like the financially poor. But for the spiritually poor, what are we dependent on? If we're poor in spirit, if we have a a poverty mentality, what is it that we can't provide for ourselves that we need help from, and, and from whom do we need help? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Just three quick thoughts. The first is this. If I'm poor in spirit, I'm dependent on God. If I'm poor in spirit, I am dependent on God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says this. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. In other words, this doesn't have anything to do with you. You didn't do anything to earn this. Your your human effort, your good works, your generous giving, your whatever didn't contribute to your salvation. It's grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And he he reiterates, not by works. Because if, if salvation was based on any human activity or action or effort, we could boast about it. Yeah, I, I contributed to my salvation. It was me and God. No, it was just God. It's not of works. It's not of you. So, so you enter the kingdom of God with an understanding that you are 100% dependent on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's how you get into the kingdom. You don't get into the kingdom thinking, I, I kind of did this. It was sort of my good attitude, my good works, or, or anything that I've done in my life that got me into the kingdom of God. Nothing. The only thing that got you into the kingdom was faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's it. So you enter the kingdom with this 100% dependence. You cannot be in the kingdom if you're not poor in spirit. Because being poor in spirit means I'm I'm dependent on Christ 100% to get me into the kingdom. But our dependence on God doesn't end when we get into his kingdom, when we're saved. It continues. And so Jesus says this in John 15. He says, remain in me. Now he's speaking to the disciples He says, stay, continue in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch, he's talking about a vine and a branch. A branch cannot produce fruit if it's cut off from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you do what? Stay in me. The branch is dependent on the vine for life. If the the branch is disconnected or severed from the vine, it cannot produce life. So the branch is dependent. Jesus says, you are dependent on me for life. So stay in me. Remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is a verse about dependence. Dependence on Christ for spiritual life. Now, how do we stay dependent on Jesus? Through prayer. Prayer is the means through which we depend upon God. Uh, That's how we confess our dependence on God. When you pray, every prayer that you pray is a prayer of dependence on God. You're confessing that you're dependent on Him to provide for your needs. When you pray, it's a confession of dependence. When you don't pray, that's also a confession. That's a confession of your self-sufficiency. When you don't pray, you're confessing to God, I don't need you. I don't need the vine. I can do this on my own. 
So we choose as we go through our day either to be dependent through prayer and to confess our need for God and to abide in Him or to do it ourselves and to be self-sufficient. So this is a picture of my newest grandchild, Mason James. Isn't he cute? Uh, the firstborn of my, my son, uh, JT, and his wife, Michelle. And as we began to talk to JT after a few days of having a brand new baby, he says, Dad, he just cries all the time unless we hold him. <laughs> like, welcome to parenthood, pal. That's kind of the way it is. Get used to it. And you know what else? He's going to cry until you change his poopy diaper. And you know what else? He's going to cry until you feed him. And you know what else? He's going to cry until he's comforted. And you know what else? He can't lift himself off the floor and walk himself up the stairs to his crib. You've got to do that. And every time he cries, it's a cry of dependence. See, when babies cry, it's saying, I need you. I need you to comfort me. I need you to feed me. I need you to change me. I need you to move me. I need you to protect whatever it is to calm me. A baby's cry is a confession of dependence. And your prayers are cries to God of confession of your dependence on Him. Now, in, in the natural world, in life, our goal is that our babies would grow up and not depend on us, right? We, we want to produce independent, responsible people. And so we say maturity comes through independence. Maturity comes when the baby no longer cries and whines. You know, we got to get our teenagers to stop doing that, right? Uh, maturity comes when, when the baby no longer cries to get its needs met. They become mature. It's, it's the opposite in the kingdom. See, the less you pray, that, that's not the more mature you are. The less you cry to God, that's not the more mature you are. It's the opposite. The more you pray, the more mature you are. And so God wants you to, to continually to, to declare your dependence on Him through prayer. See, we are dependent on God and we are dependent on the vine for life. So my question is this. What do you, when do you pray? What do you pray for? Do you only pray to God in crisis? Or do you pray as you go throughout your day? For what are you dependent on God to do? Remember, Jesus said the blessings of the kingdom come through prayer. Where did he say that? In the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6, when he gave us the Lord's Prayer. He said, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, pray for the kingdom to come. Pray for the blessings of the kingdom. So the blessings of God's kingdom flows through prayer. So you pray, you receive the blessings of the rulership of Christ in your life. You don't pray, there's no guarantee. Jesus wouldn't have said pray for the kingdom of come if it was going to come without you praying. So you mature by praying more. You mature by being more dependent on God, not less dependent on God. The, 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 the mature believer is the one who, as he goes through his or her day, he's constantly offering short prayers of dependence. God, I need you. God, help, help me. When do you pray? Do you, do you pray when you're having that difficult conversation with your child? Do you, do you pray as you have to do that, lead that staff meeting? Do you pray as you're walking into the classroom to take a test? When do you pray? For what are you dependent on God for? God wants us to walk in, in dependence, and that's called being poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are dependent on God. The poor in spirit are also dependent on truth, dependent on God's truth. 
Jesus said in, in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus, let, let me go back for a second. Let's go back. There's this quote from Paul Miller I love. He says, you don't need self-discipline to pray continuously. You just need to be poor in spirit. In other words, we think, I've got to be so disciplined in my life to pray. No, you've got to be desperate. No, you've got to realize you need God. You've got to realize that God's kingdom and power and grace is going to flow into your life when you pray. And the more you pray, the more you see the hand of God in your life. And you are dependent on him as you go through your day. Second thing is the word of God. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed in him. So these are, these are disciples. If you continue in my word, then you're truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What's, what's one mark of a disciple? They continue to read and study God's word. If you, if you continue in my word... That's a reflection that you're a disciple. You've been changed. You, you have a hunger for the Word of God. You continue to read and study God's Word. And, and when you do that, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen? So this is, this is a, a verse that teaches us that we, we need God's truth in our life in order to be free, in order to walk in God's freedom and blessing in our lives. Uh, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Moses is remembering when God led Israel through the wilderness and they, they were 100% dependent on God for food. So as they, as they walked through, through the wilderness, God supernaturally provided a bread-like substance called manna every day, except for the Sabbath, uh, for Sunday. Every day he provided that for them, right? Or the Sabbath. And, and, and so... Um, and then he provided quails later on. So God supernaturally provided food. Moses summarized that and says, God humbled you. He, he made you dependent on him, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your, your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. In other words, man does live on bread. We are dependent on bread to live physically. We, we need the, the sustenance and the, the, the fuel that food gives to us. So man doesn't live on bread alone because man is not just a physical creature. Man is a spiritual creature. So the physical part of us is fed by bread, but the spiritual part of us is fed by the word that comes from God's mouth. So in the same way that bread provides, you're, you're dependent on God for bread to live physically, you are dependent on God's word to live spiritually. Peter says it a little bit differently in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Babies need their mother's milk or formula of some kind to grow. They're not going to grow and, and gain weight and be strengthened and healthy unless they have milk. Uh, adults need bread. We need food, right? So again, Peter is saying the same thing that Moses is saying, that, that God's word is our source of spiritual life. So we are dependent on God's truth to sustain us, to direct us, to guide us, to cause us to grow. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you cannot grow without constant nurture in his word. Studying his word, uh, reflecting on his word. And Pastor Haley last weekend did a great job of talking about how to meditate on scripture, how to, how to make scripture a priority and ingest that and get that into your life because it's so important. And God says that, his, Jesus says his disciples are poor in spirit. That means they are dependent on his word for life and for direction. See, we're so confused about so many things in life 
because we don't know God's truth. We're confused in our culture today about our identity because we don't know God's truth. We're confused about what to pray for because we don't know God's truth. Many Christians are stuck in discouragement and defeat because they don't know God's truth. Many many Christians are are stuck in, in spiritual fear and doubt about their salvation because they don't know God's truth. Uh, Many people don't understand uh, uh, cultural and moral issues, what's right and what's wrong, because they don't understand God's truth. Many don't understand God's purpose and plan for their lives because they don't understand God's truth. Jesus did not say, the truth will set you free. You're going, wait a sec, Jeff, yeah, he did say that, didn't he? No, Jesus did not say, the truth will set you free. Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. If you study my word and know the truth, the truth will set you free. You don't get set free by the truth by osmosis. God doesn't just somehow supernaturally make you free by his truth if you don't read it and study it. And we have so many different ways here at Central that you can learn how to study God's word, how to grow in a knowledge of God's truth. We have Disciples Made Ministry for Men, which teaches you how to study God's word on a daily basis. We have Woven Ministry for Women. They gather together, they study God's word, they talk about God's word. We have it for students on Wednesday nights, middle school, high school students. We teach the word, we gather in small groups to talk about that word. Kids Central teaches our young kids at an age-appropriate level how to understand God's truth. We have life groups. We have Central U classes. We have one Central U class specifically that teaches you how to study the Bible. So there are all kinds of options here at Central to help you understand how to grow in God's truth because God's truth is ultimately what should direct every one of your decisions and guide you toward God's destiny and purpose for your life. So we were on vacation the last couple of weeks, and one day I wanted to work out. And we were far away from home, so I went on my phone and I looked up fitness centers in the area and and a a bunch of anytime fitness gyms popped up. And one was about 1.5 miles away. So I said, okay, I'll run to the gym and then I'll work out and then I'll run back home. So I'll get like three miles of cardio in and then I'll get some weight training in so that'll be a, a good workout. Problem is, I wasn't familiar with the area. I didn't know which streets to take and how to get there. So I took my phone app and, and punched in the... Anytime fitness 1.5 miles away uh, with the, the, the audio directions, the, the vo- voice directions. And I'm literally running, listening to, in 500 feet, turn left. You know, turn left on there, turn right here. I'm literally running and trying to follow this. What a great picture, that GPS system of Scripture in our lives. See, God calls us to follow the truth, to know the truth of Scripture so that we can get to our destination. I never would have got to where I was trying to go without those directions, and neither will you without God's Word. We are dependent on the Word of God to guide us, lead us, strengthen us, feed us, make us healthy disciples of Jesus Christ. So not only am I dependent on God and not only am I dependent on truth or Scripture, I'm dependent on others. I'm dependent on other Christians. So when Paul talks about our dependence on other people, he uses the analogy of a human body to talk about the church, that we are, we are one body, and yet there's many members in that body, but we're all interdependent. We, we all need each other. And so here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, there are many parts, but just one body, one body of Christ, one church. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. 
In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary, and yet many Christians do that. I don't need church. I, I, don't, I don't need you. I, I, can, I can do this on my own. Thinking that like if you cut your hand off and set it on a table, somehow it's going to live for a long time. No, it's going to die. You know, how, how healthy is the body going to be if you pull two kidneys out or a liver out or a heart out. No, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be sick or maybe die because every God created the church to be interdependent. You are valuable. You can never say, I don't need it. I don't need you. I don't need the church. I don't need other Christians in my life. God said that. I didn't say that. God said for your health and your life, you need the church. The, the problem is so many Christians have been hurt by church that they don't want to go back to church. They don't want to be around church. And somehow they have to find the grace of forgiveness to re-enter church to find the life that God intends. But so many people resist it. For other reasons, or they're busy, or they, 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 they don't want to come and be a part. They say, I don't, I don't need it. Well, Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 4, and he says, God makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. Uh-oh, hold on. So, the church can't grow if I don't contribute? Wait, I can't grow if I'm not allowing the church to help me grow? Each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. How do we neglect the gathering together of believers? In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, the writer says, don't, don't neglect gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, uh, but encourage one another even more as the day draws near. What's supposed to happen when you gather together? Encouragement and strengthening of one another. And, and the writer says, do it all the more as the day of the Lord approaches. The closer we get to the coming of Christ, the more difficult life is going to be and the more you are going to need community. You cannot say, I don't need you. You cannot say, I, I, you know, I can make this on my own. God didn't set you up that way. God didn't wire you that way. You are dependent on other people for your spiritual growth. So I wrote a few things down that I just want to read really quickly about this. I didn't want to forget any of them. Um, we need people to teach us the deeper things of God's truth. Like hopefully you get that on Sundays or Saturdays whenever you come to church, you're, the, the, the preacher's helping you understand God's word. But that's not enough. Who's doing it during the week? When you have questions about scripture, when you need, when you need to understand the deeper truths of God, who's helping you with that? We need others to correct our sinful attitudes and behaviors. Who does that in your life? Who says that attitude stinks? That, that, that isn't glorifying God in your life. Who, who has the love and the relationship with you to call you out on those things? We need others to counsel us about major decisions in life. Who are you going to when you have to make life-changing decisions? Who are you asking to pray with you and for you about those things? We need others to encourage us to stay faithful to God's plan because we pretty much want to quit every other day. Someone to say, stay, come on, you, you, God's with you. Don't quit. Don't give up. Hang in there. We need others to love us when we fail. We need others to affirm us for our progress. Tell us we're doing good when we're doing good. We need people to challenge us to reach higher, to go farther in life. So my, my dad knew from a young age that I was called to the ministry. He, he knew that I was called to preach. And there was a five-year period in, in California when I was teaching Bible in a Christian high school and coaching basketball and ha having a good time. I'd stepped out of ministry. 
And my dad, in the loving way that he would, almost every time I talked to him, said, uh, you know, uh, when are you going to get back in the ministry? Uh, you know what you're called to. You're called to preach. Uh, coaching's fun, but it's not your calling. Uh, you're, you're called to preach God's truth. When, and, and he just lovingly continued to say, you know what? That's not God's purpose for your life. And I needed to hear that because when the, the opportunity came to step back into church ministry, it was my dad's encouragement and motivation. Dude, that's your call. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Go for it. And, and that encourage, I, I need people in my life. So, so ever since we started adult life groups 10 years ago here at Central, Shirlene and I have been a part since the beginning. We don't lead a group. We're just a part of a group. Uh, we, we've, uh, we've been a part of probably five different groups or so. Because we, we see our need for encouragement. We see our need for prayer. We, we see our need for accountability. We, we see our need for people to, to call us out when we're not living the life that we need to live. We, we see the need for So if we see the need for that, how about you? Are you connected in biblical community? Are you connected with people? Uh, are you part of the body of Christ? Are you gathering with the believers together regularly so that you can grow and so that they can grow because of you? Being poor in spirit is the pathway to an extraordinary life of character. A true disciple of Jesus begins every day confessing three things. I need God, I need his word, and I need people. Do you wake up every day thinking, I need those things? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who walk in a constant sense of dependence because they will experience the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God comes through prayer. And the kingdom of God comes through the word. And the kingdom of God comes through people. Are you neglecting any of those three things? What is one step you could take this week to become more dependent on God, more dependent on his word, and more dependent on others? Would you stand with me this morning? So having said that, we're going to have some people up here to pray for you if you need prayer. So maybe some of you this morning need to demonstrate that you're poor in spirit by saying, I, I need prayer. I'm going to come down this morning and let someone pray for me. Father, this morning we thank you uh, for the truth of Scripture, that when we know the truth, it sets us free. free. It sets us free from confusion. It sets us free from fear. It sets us free from anxiety. It, it sets us free from a lack of purpose. It teaches us to pray. It, it teaches us how to share our faith. Lord, we thank you for the, the power of your word, and we declare our dependence on it today, Lord. We declare our dependence on you in prayer today, Lord. Help us as we go through our day to cry out like a baby to our Father for help. And Lord, keep us from pride that says, I don't need others. I can do this on my own. Help us to walk in a constant state of dependence on other people to help us grow spiritually. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. And don't forget, as you leave this morning, we're receiving a benevolent offering uh, to go toward the cause of saving lives. God bless you.